Cool, so I'm recording again and I have headphones. Ow! That was my head. <laughs> oh, that was really sore. I have headphones over mic now. Alright, so item number one. We have three like pre-show follow-up style items that I'm just going to beat through really quickly. Uh, number one is we have new merch. Drum roll. Woo! <laughs> Um, the, <laughs> the, the Betamax Crinkle Dash shirt, uh, the, the cup and the flag ha have now been archived because they were on like for their last month sort of thing. Uh, this month, uh, our kind of new items this month are a t-shirt uh, taking the piss out of Bill's uh, not being able to differentiate between the notion of a week and a month. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's also an AP hoodie. Uh, so it's just like uh, the Artifact Scene podcast logo shirt, except it's in hoodie form. Uh, for those of you who are like, can you please make a hoodie that has a zip? Uh, it's not offered in Teespring, and I imagine it's not offered because it's going to cost them an awful lot uh, to do. So this, this is like the nicest hoodie I could find on, on Teespring, and uh, I hope I hope everyone likes it. So go check out the store. It's uh, teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash artifacting podcast. Link will be in the show note. Massive, massive thanks to everyone who bought merch last month. Y'all are super, super cool. Thank you very much. Um, and one thing uh, we didn't, I forgot to do. Uh, last month uh, was people had some concern over Teespring and the quality of their products. Um, and uh, a few people had said, why don't you go with Cotton Bureau instead, which is another um, big t-shirt manufacturing company or big merchandise manufacturing company. Um, Cotton Bureau is a invite only thing. You have to apply and they have to permit you to sell there. Right. It's so not, they, they kind of curate it. They curate it, exactly. Whereas Teespring, you can just sign up and there's no way... Uh, this podcast is large enough for it to be worth uh, Cotton Bureau's while. So that's uh, with Teespring. And also, myself and Bill, we talked about it. Um, and we have gotten Teespring product before, uh, like other people's merch. And we were happy with them. And so far, I'm really happy with the uh, Artifexy merch in terms of quality and things. Um, so I, I, I think we're safe. Um, if you have any problems ever, just let us know. Or better still, let Teespring know. Um, but I think, But I think we're good. Cool. All right, that is point number one, new merch. Point number two, uh, I forgot to mention this to you, Bill, and I'm really sorry, I'm forever doing this. Uh, we got new podcast sounds. I noticed. Oh, do you listen to the show? Um, sometimes I listen to, to extracts of it just to see if there's anything I need to change about myself or if I need to, <laughs> if I can't remember something, how something was discussed or something I said. I listened to bits of it, yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, do you like the new sounds? Yeah, they're all right. Yeah. Uh, I bring this up only to say that there's a couple of Easter eggs in there, and I want to put it out there and see can anyone who is musically inclined uh, figure out the Easter, Easter eggs. Uh, I, when I say a couple, I literally mean a couple, like two. Um, I doubt anyone is going to get one of the Easter eggs, but the other Easter egg is quite easy. So um, musical people... Uh, have a listen and see what you can uh, and let us know on the reddit if you can find anything cool excellent cool and then last thing is uh, based on having switched the main uh, youtube channel's patreon to a monthly thing as opposed to a per item um uh, subscription thing 
Um, I'm go- we're going to do the same with the podcast. So announcement. Uh, this podcast is now going to be a monthly billing thing on Patreon. Um, this is in part because it takes the pressure off uh, me uh, in terms of missing deadlines when posting to Patreon and like in terms of like messing up payouts and things like that. But also, surprisingly, what I found was that loads of patrons on the main Patreon were happier when it was monthly, probably because it was they know exactly what's coming out every month and they can budget for it as opposed to like, you know, will there be a thing this month? Will there not, etc. Um, mm-hmm. So nothing changes in terms of content. We're just going to change the the billing thing. Um, if that's okay uh, with you guys. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Cool. Anything to add on those three points or should we crack into follow-up? Uh, let's go ahead with follow-up. Cool. Cue the new sounds and the Easter egg hunting. <laughs> <laughs> So the the first item of of follow up, uh, we got a cool email from uh, Nicole Marie Engelhart. What nationality do you think uh, Nicole is? Engelhart. It's not. Um, is, it, is it German? That heart doesn't. The way it's spelled doesn't seem German to me. It might be Dutch. Um, I would have, I would have thought German, but maybe the, is the DT at the end not a the DT a ger- is, German ending? Yeah, the DT is throwing me. I think it could be Dutch or Belgian. Danish? D- Danish is Engel? Yeah. Either way, I'm assuming it means Angel Harp, which is a pretty cool second name. It's pretty baller. It's very baller. Uh, anyway, baller. so what, what was uh, Nicole saying? They were wondering if it would be possible to have a society that is only partially technologically advanced by our standards. For example, they have the internet but no gunpowder. Are various technological advances intertwined, or can one tech evolve while another lags? How would that affect a society? Uh, could you share your thoughts about this? Um, this is something I've touched on before, I think. Um, I would really love it if anyone knew of a book that had a kind of a, a, a clear history of the the history of technology and the development of technology and how the different things um, interact with each other. Um, I would say it is definitely, it is definitely the case that it doesn't have to follow our pattern. Um, I mean, cause even in, in the real world, in earth history, different societies discovered different things independently at different times. Um, the like movable type, was invented in Europe in, independently in the 1400s, but there were very, very similar technologies existed in China way before then. Um, so that is something that can exist kind of, I would say largely without requiring that many other technologies. Once you have uh, presses, once you can, once you have paper and once you have presses, it's not a huge jump to get to movable type if that's something that's relevant for your script. Beyond that, like th- things definitely do interact in certain ways though. I mean, you can't have, let me think of a good example. I mean, gunpowder, you, you can't have handguns without having invented cannons first, probably. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So I, I don't really know what the, the best way to approach this is other than just doing the research and brute forcing your way through 
tracing the connections. Um, and they can be they can be surprising how how small innovations in one area can have a huge effect in what might seem like an unrelated area. Uh, and the other thing I would say is that when a when a new technology or something is discovered, uh, there tends I, I I think there tends to be uh, a lot discovered a, a lot of subsequent discoveries very quickly in say the next decades, but then it begins to taper off after that once the, all of the obvious stuff leading on from the initial discovery has been discovered the rate at which new things will be developed and relating to it will begin to slow. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Um, So, I mean, in the first 60 years since the, or even the first 50 years since the, the, the Wright brothers first powered flights, they had just about invented, like they were just on the cusp of inventing supersonic flight and Mm -hmm. flight technology hasn't, gotten that much faster since then it's gotten safer and things but the fundamental technologies haven't changed much in the last 40 years sure for example um i i read a cool book recently uh or in the last few months uh soonish which is by um uh, zach and kelly wienersmith who's the the guy who does saturday morning breakfast cereal the webcomic and his wife who is a biologist i believe and it's about near future technologies, like technologies that might come about soon. And that has some interesting stuff in it about how things, uh, how different technologies that seem unrelated might interact. And I also saw, I haven't read this, but just coming out recently or, or recently released, there's a book, How to Invent Everything by Ryan North, who is uh, actually also a webcomic artist. He's the guy behind Dinosaur Comics. And... That seems to be about a. It's it's called How to Invent Everything: A Survival Guide for the Stranded Time Traveler. So it's uh, how to create an industrialized society if you find yourself stranded in the past. Oh, Which might be relevant to the question. I was just about to say super relevant. I'll include links to both of those things in the show notes. Uh, my two cents here is that if you're going to create uh, technological discrepancies within a single society, I think the best way of doing that is via uh, laws and regulations. Um, You know, like if we take the internet and the gunpowder thing as an example that Nicole brought up, you could easily say that the law is such that, you know, only a segment of the population um, can have access to the internet while the rest of them are like, you know, back in gunpowder times or whatever. Um, that's, I think, a very easy way of uh, getting technological uh, unbalance uh, within a single society, um, uh, if that makes sense, yeah? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you need to have a few steps to that process, though, because then you'll have to think about what that imbalance will do to the society. And mm. it, it, that, that's, it's, it's a back-and-forth conversation. Sure, but it's a little bit easier yeah. than um, trying to figure out the natural evolution of the tech tree. You know, it, it, it's it's a little bit easier just to be kind of like, I'm going to make a law that says that things are unequal and let me figure that out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's. Uh, I hope that answers uh, uh, something, some of what you, you want, Nicole. Uh, th- that book looks really interesting. Links in the show notes, go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what else we got, man? We got an email from uh, Izzy, 
uh, a submission for Flag Corner, which we haven't uh, done in a while. The triumphant return. The triumphant, absolutely. It's like Gandalf coming on the third day. Flag Corner <laughs> just emerges across the hill. <laughs> uh, so Izzy has submitted... Um, uh, the flag of their hometown, Williamsburg, Massachusetts. Uh, should you describe, or do you want me to describe? Um, you describe. Bill, I thought you'd never ask. Okay, uh, <laughs> let me, I'm just going to blow this up to make sure I get all of the uh, stunning, glorious detail here. So, um, first thing to note here is that the Williamsburg flag is uh, a vertical flag. Mm-hmm. So it's not the horizontal aspect ratio. It's Portrait, vertical. not landscape. Exactly. Now, I, I suspect I know the reason for this, but we'll get to that later because I did a bit of research on this because I couldn't believe that this was actually a thing. Um, turns out it actually is. Anyway, so uh, f- working from the top of the flag down to the bottom, we have a the whole flag is basically a Bob Ross-esque painting, like a painting painting, like no graphics, a painting painting. Like, this is an oil painting, except it's a flag. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a blue sky, a dark blue mountain, a light pink mountain, a green mountain, a red mountain, um, or an orange mountain that bleeds into, like, this mountain town with, like, a church in the distance, a couple of trees, some rolling fields, a big church in the foreground, a, uh, a winding stream. Um, in the very foreground, we have a collection of red flowers uh, and then we have a water wheel which is like kind of not really connected to the water nor anything that would drive the water wheel it's just kind of sitting there oh is that a water wheel i assumed it was a wagon wheel ah man it's too big to be a wagon wheel and it's got the little things the little i mm. yeah no i think i think you're right yeah i think you're right i I just didn't cop that I think in it, it's an abandoned water reel. And then on the water reel, uh, we have, because it's an American fra- flag and we need dates, we have 1771. Uh, and then at the very front, we have Williamsburg uh, written in uh, in handwriting. Like, it's not typed. Like, someone has painted this writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing is a terrible painting and makes for an even worse flag. And there's, there's other things, like, for example, the church uh, and the text and things, they aren't part of the painting. They're kind of um, paper overlays, so you can see shadows of where they're lying on the painting. It's just, it's an absolute train wreck of yoke. It's a collage. Like, I'm, I'm fairly sure that the buildings, each building and the, the text are, are a collage. Yeah, so they did like the Bob Ross thing where they like they paint the background and stuff because that's kind of formulaic, and then they like went away and worked on all the like uh, structural elements, like like houses and things, and then placed them on top collage wise. Um, does Bob Ross do that? Oh no, sorry, sorry, Bob Ross doesn't. But uh, who's the guy in the Irish TV version of it? Um, what's his face? He's like the Irish Bob Ross. Um, oh, and, and he does the same thing, same uh, style as Bob Ross, except. He has this thing called contact paper. So he like uh, paints like a layer of like, I don't know, rubber or something over pre-composed things like houses and churches. Frank and then, Clark? No, no, no. He He's, he's, uh, he's a guy who's, uh, I think, currently working. He's on uh, TG4. I'll put a link in the show notes. He's not as good. David Willis? What? Who? 
David Willis, Irish paint magic. That sounds like the man. Um, so okay. he, he does a thing with contact paper where like he will pre-prepare the very difficult elements um, and then paint over them with like the Bob Ross-esque landscape sort of thing, which is a little bit easier. And at the end, he'll like peel off the rubber to reveal a church, um, which is, I always thought was like shock and bad advertising because it's like, you can paint this picture except for all the detailed stuff, which I've done beforehand. I'm not showing you how to do. But anyhow, I digress. I digress. Williamsburg flag. Now, I did not think this was real because I was like, this is this is too bad. Like, even the worst designer understands that you don't put an oil painting on a flag. And then I did a bit of research and I found a news clip unveiling the flag. It now hangs apparently in City Hall or, or, or something. In in um in Massachusetts in Boston I think, um and you can see it. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can see it being unveiled in it all its glorious vertical portrait, and but because it's been like made into a flag, they've like flagified some elements, taking it away from like the oil painting stage. And I think they've made it worse. So Bill, if you want to open, it, <laughs> you know, like at, at thirty seconds in here, it's just. Uh, like they've made the, the the pinky mountain in the background like a, a hot purple, um, with like a thick black stroke, and like the the river is now. The only way I can describe this is Photoshop users. If you use a cloud diffusion layer, it's basically that, except instead of black and white, it's blue. It's like this weird eighties weird computer graphic version of what water should be, and it is trash. The reason why I think it's portrait is because if you look at that video, all of the flags in this city hall or whatever are hanging in portrait orientation. And I think the designer was like, I must make it portrait. So, um, so I think that's why that happened. Anyhow, a disaster of flag. That's actually a thing. Couldn't believe it. Okay, I'm just going to watch this clip real quick. Yeah, yeah, more quiet. It's only like a minute long. At the State House today, 22 News reporter Jordy Reed is in Boston to tell us how one Western Massachusetts community is represented as never before. A newly designed Williamsburg flag will now hang in the Great Hall of oh, the Massachusetts I see. State House. Western Massachusetts lawmakers joined community members at a ceremony to show off the flag on Wednesday before hanging it in the hall forever. They said this symbol will give the western part of the state more representation in Boston. But a lot of people probably don't know where Williamsburg is, but they will when they see the flag. The designer of the flag said that it portrays all of Williamsburg's beauty, showing flowers, hills, streams, and churches. There are only 11 communities in Massachusetts that don't have their town flag hanging in the Great Hall. My office has made it their, their mission um, to make sure that we have every town represented, uh, particularly from Western Mass. You can visit the Great Hall at the State House and see the Williamsburg flag. It's the fourth one from the left on the rear wall at the State House in Boston. Jody Reed, 22 News. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's not great. I love the way it's like the designer of the flag said it it showcased everything good about Williamsburg. And I think the designer took that a little bit too literally as in like, I must paint everything good about Williamsburg. Like symbolism, like symbolism is a thing. Flag designer. Oh, so frustrating. Uh, Izzy, thank you for that one. I thank you I had, so much, Izzy. That's absolutely brilliant. I had so much fun researching whether or not you were trying to troll us with this, because uh, I had my suspicions. It, I was I was not on board with this actually being a flag. Anywho, anywho, 
item number two. Should we crack on to item number three? Let's do it. All right, what we got? The next thing we have is an an email from Nick Lowry, who is asking about what the effects of low gravity might be on biology or on like the the inhabitants of a planet with lower gravity. Um, I'm going to toss this one over to you. This is more your field. So uh, I I am not actually going to explain it uh, because I would like to do research before like blindly talking about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to point uh, Nick and all the people who are interested in this to a heap of resources um, that they might find very interesting. Um, links are in the show notes, but for anyone who's not um, who can't get to the show notes, uh, The Future is Wild is a documentary from 2003 um, and it deals with like future life on Earth. Not necessarily with low gravity stuff, but it deals with speculative uh, biology that will come into it. Um, there's another documentary, Extraterrestrial, with a exclamation mark, 2005, um, that explicitly deals with a low gravity world. I believe uh, one of the worlds that they talk about had like 60% gravity. Um, and they think through what that means in terms of uh, wildlife, in terms of biology. Uh, Alien Planet, it's another 2005 thing. Um, same thing again. It's Oh no, this is the one with the 60% um, gravity world. Um, and they go through uh, the various uh, wildlife there. Uh, and bonus things, again, not really related to the low gravity thing, but in the wheelhouse of this question. The Last Dragon, 2004, deals with like... Uh, what if dragons were real and how would their biology work? And then apparently, according to IMTV, uh, IMDB, there's a natural history of an alien, which also deals with alien biology. That's a 1998 hmm. TV movie. Links in the show notes to all of these. Um, go check those out. In particular, the extraterrestrial program and Alien Planet. I've watched them before and I found the stuff they did with regards to low gravity stuff to be uh, very interesting. And I think you will uh, get a lot from them. Yeah. Cool. Um, and the next one we have here is an email from Samson DeBarba. That's a great name. It is a, it is a very good name. It reminds me of, do you remember the, the cartoon with the elephants? Barbar. Barbar. That's it. Right, reminds me of that. Anyhow, Samson <laughs> DeBarba. Uh, what does Samson want to know? Um, so the topic is seminal works that have let you down. For the past three years, they've been working through films either regarded as classics or as seminal in the genre. Um, things like Blade Runner, Shawshank Redemption, and so on. Uh, some of them have been good. They enjoyed Blade Runner. Uh, they enjoyed Shawshank Redemption, but others have been complete rubbish. Uh, they, so they said they thought they would share some films that they watched because of our podcast that they didn't enjoy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sapson. The list here, um, Dune. Didn't get Dune. Uh, thought it was a bit all over the place and uh, didn't not satisfying for the viewer. Uh, Two thousand one, a Space Odyssey, which they thought was visually very nice, but it was kind of overly indulgent and philosophical mm. and a weak narrative. Um, Battlestar Galactica and Starship Troopers, they said, were inoffensive but unremarkable. Um, Stargate was pretty good. Wait, um, hold on. There's a Battlestar Galactica movie? Um, I don't know. I only knew... Oh, if we're assuming they were talking about the TV series, the Battlestar Galactica TV series is amazing. 
Um, at least at least the remake. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone saying that Battlestar Galactica was subpar. I mean, it it doesn't make any damn sense. Um, especially towards the end, like it gets it gets bizarre towards the end. Spoilers. But it's glorious. Yeah, yeah. No, it it gets it gets a bit wacky. All right, but it's still it's still great. Um, I I can't speak for the first Battlestar Galactica. I don't know what that's like. Um, mm-hmm. maybe they're referring to maybe Samson is referring to the first Battlestar Galactica. Um. Perhaps, there, perhaps. Um, but just on on Samson's. And there doesn't there, seem to be a, a there doesn't seem to be a feature film from the from the original one from the seventies one. And there was a couple of films that tie in with the with the reimagined series, but they weren't like cinema films. I don't think. Hmm. Yeah, intriguing. Yeah. I don't know. Um, on on Samson's list there, what do you, briefly? What do you think about uh, Dune, Space Odyssey, and uh, Battlestar Galactica, Stargate, that sort of thing? Um, I've never seen Dune. Okay, uh, I don't. I don't remember um, recommending these. Um, I've read Dune, um, but I've never seen the film. Um, Two thousand one Space Odyssey. I saw when I was very very young. I don't really remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, Starship Troopers. I have not seen. Um, Stargate is uh, good, silly fun. Um, it's like it's I I don't ask anything from that film, and it delivers. Okay, now Star- so Stargate is definitely a film. Yeah, this we're not referring. Yeah, to Stargate film. is a film. Okay, so I've never seen the film. I've watched the series with with your man. Oh, what's his face? Um, Richard Dean Anderson. Sure. Uh, but the, the alien guy, think. The, big, the big lad, um, begins with T, is it? T'Challa. No, no. No, T'Challa is in... in that's, that's Black Panther. That's Black Panther. Hold on, Stargate... Uh, he does have a T, a T apostrophe in his name, I'm pretty I, I, sure. I keep thinking T'Pol as well, but that's um, the Vulcan from... The, okay, the Gua'uld in Stargate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who's the guy What's his name? From, Oh, Teal'c. 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 That's it. Teal'c. So I've watched... So that's SG-1. I've watched a little, little bit of SG-1, um, but I yeah. don't know anything about the movie. Um, SG-1 is fine. SG-1 is fine. It's very, it, it gets very samey-samey. Um, mm-hmm. I stopped watching it because it was just so the same. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. Dune, the movie Dune, I find incredibly difficult to watch. The book is class. Um, the movie I I don't rate whatsoever. It's just weird. I think it's directed by David Lynch, and that kind of says it all. Said it all. Um, Two thousand one Space Odyssey. I find again the book. Really enjoyed the book. I find the pacing and the indulgence, like Samson um, remarks of uh, the movie, to be very difficult to watch. Um, and the mm-hmm. audio as well. Like the audio can is just it's it, it can be quite annoying. Some of the music. Um, like he's a fond of like uh, long monotonous beeps and things like that, and they, it's very grating. And I don't, I didn't like it. Um, it's got a lot of liggity in it though, which is class. He got a lot of liggity. Lig- liggity is class. Uh, I still think the book's better. Uh, in terms of the TV series, because I haven't seen the movies, Battlestar Galactica is amazing. Love it, even if it gets weird towards the end. And like I said, Stargate. Um, uh, I enjoyed it, but it gets really samey, samey. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of answering the question, though, like, like a, this isn't a seminal work, but it's a work that kind of I've been let down by, or I'm in the process of being let down by. I've, I, people keep recommending Cloud Atlas to me. Have you seen Cloud Atlas? 
No. Um, this is the Wachowskis. Uh, they did the Matrix, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, it's and, and so Cloud Atlas is a movie. It's got re- it's got a really great cra- a cast and like Tom Hanks is in it, uh, Halle Berry's in it, and a few other. Oh, a Hugh Grant is in it, which is really odd, uh, and a few other kind of like really big names. Um, kept getting this movie recommended to me. Started watching it last night, uh, and was just like, "What am I watching?" And like, I just this sense of like, I just don't care. So I'm currently in the process of being let down by that movie. So to answer your question uh, specifically, Samson, um, what about you, Bill? Anything that you've, uh, a seminal work that you've been let down by? Um, I didn't see Terminator 2 until I was an adult and I strongly disliked that film. What happens in Terminator 2? It's the one where it's got the the T-1000, the the liquid Terminator. I was going to say the shiny Um, jelly guy. Yeah. Um, and John Connor is in the future reprograms a T-800, which is Arnie, and sends it back to protect young John Connor from the T-1000. Um, and there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of cool set pieces and stuff in it. And the, like, the T-1000 is a fantastic villain. It's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I know, I, I love the original Terminator. I think that's a cracking film. It's, it's just a really good kind of, sci-fi cyberpunky concept done kind of as a horror it's there's a really kind of great threat in it and then terminator 2 has a kid and i just i nearly always hate films with children in them that's um, it that's it yeah uh no a- aliens the kid and aliens is okay um <gasps> prometheus there's a film that everyone should be let down by I I'm not going to talk about Prometheus because <laughs> we don't have enough time in the episode. <laughs> one day, man, one day, Bill, we've really got to top off Prometheus. I, I there's I, there's two things that you have uh, kind of told to me that have like stuck with me as being just hilarious moments, hilarious Bill moments in life, and that is your rants about Prometheus. And do you remember the purple ball, the purple brick joke? Yes. Do you remember? Do you remember when you told me that we were coming home from college and we were uh, going through the financial center, and you told me that joke? Oh man, I still remember to this day. It was the funniest joke I have ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So those two things were just like hysterically funny. Um, So the we we got to top up for me at some stage. You're dead right. Not now because we're 37 minutes into this, but at some stage we we got to talk about Prometheus. Um, so yeah, Terminator Two is definitely one that I've been, I've been, I was disappointed in when I saw it as an adult. Uh, like the the interesting thing about the seminal works, especially when they're kind of the older ones, I I think we don't have the context to understand what's so great about them if we, mm-hmm. especially if they were born after they were released, because what was so good and so groundbreaking about them has become the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, Ben-Hur. That's a classic example. Anyone? Uh, yeah, okay, I've, I've never seen that. I, I've, I've had to sit through Ben-Hur and I've just been like, what? Like, like it's not bad or anything. Like, what, what is so, like, monumentally special about this? And just yeah. like you say, I think it's a function of not being around when it was released. Well, an example of this... Uh, I don't get Elvis. 
let's say it's a thing I think about a lot as regards to music. I understand that Elvis is good, hmm. but like people, people love Elvis, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. But because he's so fundamental to everything that happened in pop music afterwards, what makes him special is invisible to me because it's just mm-hmm. the context that I understand music within. Mm-hmm. A, a seminal film that I was uh, pleased with that I saw recently, though, mm-hmm. uh, I saw Robocop for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. I have not watched Robocop in years. Yeah, it's it's... I'd have to think about it. There's there's a lot of thinking in its kind of its portrayal of the police and it's you know whether it's a critique of power or whether it's a celebration of conventional policing or not. Um, Bill, are you but, are you being are you being all intellectual here? Like, is it is it is that what really what's going on, or is it just a shoot 'em up film? Uh, it is one hundred. It is absolutely there is critique in it. Okay, all right. Again, I haven't seen I, it. I, I don't think you can have. Even even if there's not intentional critique, sure, yeah. you can still talk about it in that context. And I don't think you can ever discuss cyberpunk or anything that's like cyberpunk without that kind of social critique oh, being part of it. Critiques gave it 67 out of 100. <sighs> Indicating that um, it's generally favourable. How is 60... I suppose 67 is bigger than 50, therefore it's favourable, yeah. but like, Christ's hardly resounding success right there. Um, yeah, but it's... They didn't. They didn't say resounding success. They said generally favorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, man, I haven't. I have. I might need to watch Robocop again. I haven't thought about that in literal years, and I remember being very meh about it. No, yeah, I mean it's 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 straightforward. There's there's nothing like shocking or anything about it, or like really out there. But it's you know it's a it's a good it's a good shooty film yeah um, does what it says on the thing part man part yeah. machine all cop uh, what it one bit I did kind of enjoy is the wrong term but there's a bit where the, the bad guys who are a for anyone who hasn't seen the film or isn't familiar with it the bad guys are a big company and they're trying to um, privatize all of these things and and they 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 run the detroit police department they've privatized the police they've got the police contract um which is you know part of the whole dystopia but uh they say there's a commentary or there's a discussion in the film where they're saying that the the company is spread into many fields that are traditionally not privatized uh such as you know um social welfare i think is one of them and the other one is prisons oh how how innocent and naive the 1980s were so were there no private prisons in america in the 80s um i guess not wow i always thought that was just part of america's shtick like private because i've always thought of that as being synonymous with the 80s that's mad um sorry synonymous with the with with america yeah that's mad. It it's yeah. A very very brief um, Google suggests that it started in the nineteen eighties. It was pioneered in the nineteen eighties. Wow! Someone watched RoboCop and was like, <laughs> "No, there's an idea." <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I hope that answered uh, your question there, Samson. Um, uh, anything else to add on any of those things, Bill, or should we crack into main topic? Writers room. Uh, yeah, let's crack into the writer's room. Um, 
I have returned to the Handwavia setting if, this month. To Handwavia. Uh, remind us again what's going it. on in Handwavia. Pardon? Remind us again. Oh, Romance. Romance is in Handwavia. Romance is in Handwavia, and this indeed is once again in the planet Romance. Cool. And um, keep your ears peeled for details in, in this one. Um, I'll just launch into it. Go for it. Our people arrived here when the forests were still young, child. We made our home here, and made this land ours, and we have forgotten where we sailed from. Some say we left from a cruel kingdom far to the east of Hoytan. Some say we came from frozen Trier, far away in the south. Others believe we sailed from Fasath, or from beyond the stars. All we remember is we fled from a great and terrible disaster. A hundred families set off in a mighty sea ship, the greatest vessel anyone had ever seen. Half the forests of the Vikal would not be enough timber to build this mighty vessel. Away we sailed to safety, but the journey was a long and dangerous one. Our ship was sucked into a great whirlpool and we were tossed and shaken. But our ship did not break and we were brave. A great wave carried us out again and a mighty waterspout threw us into the air. But our ship did not break and we were brave. We landed with a crash and the waters closed over our ship. But our ship did not break and we were brave. After a hundred nights we came to this land, to the beautiful Abesque. The mighty ship sailed up the river and where we stopped we founded the first city of Myrsthyr. From its masts and timbers we built the first spires. We felled the great trees of the Abesque and built the first ships of the air and we learned to fly. We sailed out across the sky over this beautiful land that we would make our own. All the great cities of the north were founded by us. From Otvev to Jakav, we took this land and we built our spires. The monsters of the deep forests and the jagged mountains could not scare us. Our ships flew above them and we were brave. Cruel and Shesi chiefs and cunning Urthani cheats could not trick us. Our ships flew above them and we were brave. Long frozen winters and great storms could not stop us. Above it all our ships flew, and we always were brave. And so Abesk, the greatest land on Ikerm, became ours. Cool. Do you want to go grab your tea? Yes, please. <laughs> One sec. <laughs> Still rolling. Listeners, I don't know why Bill decided to get his tea after reading that to you and not beforehand, given that we're on break. I don't know. Crazy dude. FYI, this piece is called A Mere Sphery Child's Tale. Um, to put that in context. And um, it's really cool. I really enjoyed it. I really like the rhythm of the We Were Brave stuff. I think that was really cool. I have questions for Bill, though. Many questions. Back. You're back? I was talking to the listeners. We had a chat. It was good. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I like it, man. It's good. It's very good. Thank you. Um, I was I was saying to the listeners that it's called A Mere Sphere's uh, Child's Tale. 
Uh, and I think yes. you really captured that tone with the repetition of the and we were brave things and like the short mm-hmm. um, sentences, almost like stan- stanza-esque. It was very good. Yeah. I mean, you could you could imagine a teacher reading mm-hmm. that out and the children like have the response that the ship did not break and we were brave. They call that back as it's being read out. Yeah, for sure. Something like that. For sure. Um, okay. Uh, do, do you want to talk about anything or should I launch into my questions? Uh, launch into your questions first. Uh, mainly these are involving place names, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, first thing that, that struck me was uh, you said some say we came from frozen tree trier. Yeah. Trier. It's a really difficult word to pronounce. Um, I think it's a new a new place. I don't think we've talked about them before. Anything you can say about that? Uh, no, it's just it's the far south of Romance. Okay. Not it was not on the map though that you made ages ago. Oh, it was not. No, it would be like in the because um the the spires and, and all those places, uh they're all in, in the northern hemisphere. This would be like the, the southern pole kind of. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Um uh, others, and then you go on to say others believe that we sail from Fasath or from beyond mm-hmm. the stars. Now, Fasath mm-hmm. was Fasath mm-hmm. a different planet? It is. It is a different planet. Okay, so are, are, and the beyond the stars thing makes me think that these are. We mentioned ages ago that you, you have you've laid the seeds of like interplanetary movement here. Are these mm-hmm. people the interplanetary trader people that have kind of been hinted before? No. No. Well, I'm out of No, we established uh, who they were. Then. <laughs> we established who they were. Did we? Yeah. Who? Um, the Bini. The Bini. The Bini are the river trader people, aren't they? No, that's the Earthanis. That's the Earthanis. The Bini. Remind me what the Bini were. What did they do? So we've encountered the Bini um, a couple of times. Uh... The first was remember the remember what the first stuff I did about Handwavia uh, in the the country of Namo. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So the Bini live to the north of Namo. They live in the interior of that continent. Okay, have you, um, have you written pieces about the Bini, or have you just mentioned them? Um. Oh dear. Uh, I think you've just mentioned. Them. I don't think you've actually written anything about them. <laughs> I ha- uh oh no I did I did you the did? the other country in th- the one that's like you know the guys that send the expedition to Lamo uh they have a report about the Bini I'm pretty sure that I I wrote Oh okay um, God it's been so Hold long. on I'm I'm just going to I'm going to check my archives bear with He's going to go to his uh, romance wiki Um so yeah this yeah frontier report which I wrote uh, a while ago Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, okay, okay. So those who were the Bini. Okay, yeah. so we established that. Is, that, that I wrote about almost, a, uh, just over a year ago. That's about the Bini. Okay. Uh, and about the the country trying to deal with the Bini as a hostile threat. Okay, and so we established those as being inter, interplanetary trader dudes. Um, we, we established that they, they had, the Bini are found on, on multiple planets, yes. Okay, okay. Um, but but we're not referring to b- the Bani here, yes? No, this is the, the Spires culture. This is the Spires culture. and Opvev and Shikav are cities from the Spires culture, which I've been talking about sure. in romance. But they, and they've not been founded by Bani people? No, the Bani don't have cities. 
They don't have sticks. Okay, cool. No. Um, the uh, so going on. Uh, are you right? After a hundred nights, we came to this land to beautiful Abesk. Ab Abesk. Yes. How do you pronounce it? Abesk. Abesk. It's like slightly, slightly fricative and slightly. I mean, you can't really aspirate a fricative, but um, it's. I don't know how to exp- how to describe that sound. I uh, haven't settled exactly on how it's pronounced. Abesk. Let's say. Say it again. Abesk. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll leave it to to you to say to pronounce it. Uh, that that's the river, yes. No, no, it's the the land that the spires people inhabit. The northern part of that map that I showed is called Abesk. Okay, okay, done. Okay, cool, got that. Yeah, um, and, that's, and that's a new term. I right? you haven't seen that term before. We haven't seen that term before. No. Okay, new term. Okay, so the name of that map that we published that you published eight ago is is basically Abesk. It's a map of the Abesk region. Uh, Abesk is part of that map. Okay, okay. Um, going on, cruel Anchesi chiefs and cunning Ertani cheats could not trick us. Now, the Ertani were the river people. Uh, yeah. Re- remind me what the Anchesi chiefs did again. The Anchesi is a region south of Abesk. Um, it's like a, a high plateau, a high dry plateau. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, and then the final thing is, and so Abesk... The greatest land on Ekarm became ours. Ekarm, yeah. Ekarm being the name of the planet that formerly yes, known as Romance. Yes, hey. I gave it an actual proper name now. Um, is that the thing we had? We should have kept our uh, ears peeled for. That was it. Yeah. Yes. Fi- finally, finally, I have gotten the thing. I never get any of the things. <laughs> Every month, I never get any of them. I got something this one. I'm proud. I can, I can, I can die a happy man now, Bill. <laughs> uh, Ekarm. It's very, it's very not uh, in keeping with the other names, man. It's a. It strikes me almost like um, almost Celtic-y, like Welsh almost, and everything else is well, not everything okay. else, but a great deal of it is um, Russian sounding, like Mirsphere and Otyev and uh, Zhikav. It all sounds very. Slavic, and then you have Ekerm, Ekerm, yeah, Ekerm, Ekerm. Um, yeah. thought process there. Um, because I am like taking a sort of a planetary romance um inspiration for this. I got the names of a bunch of writers and well, just like three um writers and main characters and names of the settings from planetary romance that I've read. And um, jammed them together until I liked the the, the sound of one. And um, the main character of Almurek, which is by Robert E. Howard, is called Esau Cairn. Esau Cairn. And I took the sound of that, of E from Esau, and then Cairn. And then I changed the N to an M. And E Cairn. And I liked the sound of that. That's all there is to it. Ah, oh, interesting. Interesting. It's an interesting name. Uh, e. What, what's in the guy's name? Esau Kerm. Esau. Yeah. It's it's um it's a biblical name. I think it's spelled E S A U. Hold on. I looked it up the other day. Um, e S A U. Hmm. Interesting. Oh yeah. He's he's one of the sons of of Isaac. That's yes. That's it. In the Bible. Oh, very interesting. Um, for people who are um just listening, which is most of you, um. The uh, Bill has not spelt this like um, Esau. It's just a capital Y. Y. 
oh, yeah. Um, y C A I or M with a space, yeah, in between the Y. I I really like that. The 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 Y on its own looks really cool. Um, it doesn't have a Y on its own. Oh, what? What it does? Y C A I or M, no spaces. No spaces. It looks like a no space spaces. here. Well, uh, oh, not it's... in mine, and I wrote it. <laughs> oh, oh, sh- oh, yeah. Sorry. The author might be dead, but hold on. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. It must be the way. Um, it must be a formatting thing when the file got transferred. Oh, okay, it's a formatting thing. All right, sorry. Ecarb is... Hold one. on, well, I'll, I'll check my PDF. It's one It's one word. Okay, I thought it was two words. I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm sure everyone listening is like, who cares? Like, move on from the spelling of the word. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, it looks cool. It looks cool. I like it. I think you've definitely uh, accomplished the goal of making it sound like a... Um, child's tale like a nursery rhyme thing i think it's really cool. great and congrats on not calling it romance anymore a much needed change uh, yeah oh i know an overdue one um <laughs> okay um uh, anything you want to add on that what do you think this says about the the mere theory or about the spires people um they think a lot of themselves mm. um they think they're class at everything. They might be a bit, um, a bit colonial, a bit, bit expansionist. Yeah, they seem to have like, yeah, you know, as in like the Anchesi and the Erthani, like they were tricking them or whatever, and they were like cleverer than natives and things like that. Um, they seem to be inventive people. Um, yeah, inventive, brave, possibly a little bit colonial. Maybe some, maybe a bit xenophobic. Um, cool. Good at writing nursery rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that the right answer? What what you want to add to it? Uh, yeah, no. I was just hoping that the kind of the racist, xenophobic sort of thing came across properly. That not, I mean, not just from the the cruel Anchesi chiefs and the cunning Arthani cheats, um, not just from that, but also the whole kind of tone of conquering the land and yeah. making it ours and it's kind of like a manifest destiny kind of or yeah yeah, yeah. One, a, a kind of an ideology like that that you know, this belongs to us and we will take it and we will control this and um yeah, I, sure. I was hoping that nastiness would, would come across for sure uh, i think it, it's 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 subtle enough uh to be kind of, what's the word i'm looking for here it's subtle enough that it doesn't hit you over the head in the same way yeah. that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of nursery rhymes are kind of like really dark um, and mm. often a bit like uh, racist or xenophobic. Uh, mm-hmm. The But they're so subtle that kind of everyone just says them anyways without really thinking about it. I think this does the job here as well. Like uh, if you, the words cruel and chessy chiefs could literally mean that the Anchesi sheep chiefs were cruel or they could mean that, you know, our great civilization wouldn't would never be like these barbaric people you know so i think mm. it, their subtlety here is good cool. I'm, cool I'm glad yeah i was I, I thought that might be a little like too soft in the rest of it and that that that, that, that paragraph the cruel and chiefs might be a little too on the nose but it is a nursery rhyme so I, I, a, a children's I, tale i don't i don't think so and it's definitely not too subtle because otherwise i would never have picked it up um so cool yeah cool anything else yeah so the 
the um, they definitely came from off planet. That is, that is, uh, I'm not, I have no problem saying that. Um, but obviously, you can probably tell from the previous things I've written in romance, they don't have access to that technology now. Mm-hmm. It's not a direct analog to sort of settler colonialism because the Urthani and the Anchesi would also have uh, an origin from off romance, from off Ikerm. Um but it is it is still kind of broadly similar. Part of what I wanted to do with this was: Do you remember when I wrote the the history of Fasath? The like the the god Vasah came and yeah. all the people came with him. Yeah, I was oh. trying to do something broadly similar to that. I, I, sorry, and I, that gives you. I, sorry, I glanced over at the start. You, the, you mentioned uh, they they fled from a terrible disaster. I meant to say, is that the uh, spitting of the sun stuff that we heard before? No, the splitting of the sun is in Yanspar. That's a different setting. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, my bad. Continue That's on. Okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, so I wanted to do something broadly similar that it was a, a, a telling of the history and of a people's history from, as ever, a diegetic world-building within their own context mm-hmm. um, and how they see themselves and how they place themselves in their society and in their world. Yeah. And I decided the way to do that would be through uh, telling children about it. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the guts of it. Cool, uh, and it work again. It works really well. Um, yeah, I like it. Thank you very much. Cool. Uh, will we move on to my thing? Yeah, let's. All right, this is gonna be this is gonna be even quicker than last week. I think. I, well, maybe I shouldn't speak too soon, but you know, here's hoping. Um, last. Oh, I said last week. I did the bill thing. <sighs> Last yes! Week. Last Vindication! Month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, last month, uh, I had released uh, part one of my little climate series, How to uh, Construct Realistic Climate Zones. Um, this month was part two, um, which focused on filling out the rest of uh, my map and demonstrating the various climate zones in the feral and polar cells. Links in the show notes for if you want to go check it out. Um, very little to say again about it, uh, because as with the last one, people were just like, great, really needed this, wonderful, love it. Um, most of the comments uh, were suggestion comments, like as in, oh, that's great. Could you do a video about whatever? Um, so no one was really tearing apart, which is amazing. Um, so there's one thing I, I want to bring up, which I'm going to bring up in the Q&A, but I, I think it's important enough to like, uh, say it here too but before I do that is there anything uh, you have to say about the video Bill? Honestly not really um, Ding I'll, I'll ding! Echo, <laughs> echo those other other sentiments um, it, yeah it was it was good it made sense to me like I said last month um, I had figured out some of it but you've clarified certain issues for me why things are a certain way Cool Um why well it was one thing um when you're putting in the the climate zones like let's let me just find an example in the in the the video here mm-hmm. so what's the one that's kind of like light sort of light blue is it oceanic no an oceanic climate oh, let that, me check that would be green no yes um <laughs> it's definitely oceanic climate green is definitely oceanic climate the light blue is humid continental 
humid continental, right? So you put in the humid continental, uh-huh. um, and then you add on top of that when you get to the other areas. Why mm. is your workflow done that way? Why do you? Oh, like, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, if all right, if you imagine the shape um, of that light blue zone, yeah, placing that initially uh, with that shape will be like really awkward to explain. So it's oh, okay. a better idea to just like lay it all down, put put other zones around it, and then what results is your humid continental. Because like, really, humid continental climates do what they say in the thin uh, a tin. They are the climate in the sort of like uh, humid parts of your continent. So it's like the continental part of um, the fer- feral cell. So you kind of necessarily mm-hmm. have to like lay it all down and carve it away to get the correct uh, layout. Yeah. No. That. that, that... That's yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I get Ooh. that. Will you do oh, a video on? Don't 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 do it to me, man. Don't, don't be asking me. But uh, what do you want to hear? <laughs> Are you planning on doing a video on microclimates? Uh, on microclimates. Yeah. Uh, no, define for me though. So where you get like small areas that have vegetation and. Um, like where, where, so you like in in a, an area that would otherwise be arid because of the a quirk in in the surrounding like shape of the land, you get more rainfall. So you would you find a different like it's, it's a small area where the climate is different, I guess. And <laughs> um, so you would have a, a different situation there, and you would get different vegetation and things. So uh, the definition here, when I Google it, a, a local set of atmospheric conditions that differ from those in the surrounding areas. Um, it may refer to areas as small as a few square meters or square feet or as large as many square kilometers. So, you know, like the burn in the west of Ireland can be considered a microclimate and you can get both uh, Mediterranean and Arctic vegetation there, even though the west of Ireland is neither a Mediterranean nor an Arctic uh, climate zone. So, uh, first of all, um, links in the show notes to the burn. If anyone who doesn't know what it is, go check it out. It's like this awesome rock landscape in the west of Ireland. It's really cool. Um, so karst is the name for that? Car- yeah, karst landscape. Um, it's really, really cool. Um, the Okay, am, am I going to do a, a microclimates video? Probably not, but I imagine that's the thing that will come up in um, other videos. Um, okay. I can't, I, I've never come across any sort of like a guide or anything written about microclimates. Um, mm-hmm. If I find something, then maybe, um, but I have no immediate, uh, um, no immediate um, want to do it. Cool. Yeah. Video request from Bill. <laughs> it, it was a, a question rather than a request. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's just, it's just you, sometimes I've mentioned this before on Q and but sometimes the video requests can become very overwhelming, um, to the point where you kind of feel like no one's actually watching the video; they're just clicking on the thing and then being like, "I need to ask him to make this thing that I want," and it becomes, mm-hmm. um, uh, I don't know, it just becomes a weird. It's a weird sort of thing like that we don't really deal with in everyday life. Like if I were to, um create a piece of music, say, and then go into a room full of, like, 50 composers, they're not going to turn around immediately and be all, like, and then shout at you and be all, like, are you going to do an unrelated topic? Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't see yeah. this in real life. And then on the internet, 
video requests it just becomes like this mad amplifier thing and it's just it's weird and it's just yeah strange anyway but that's by and by uh get on should i get on to the thing i want to bring up please do um so this uh a couple of people had problems with the how linear uh, my world looked they were like geez edgar like you're just drawing straight lines everywhere like you know your your deserts are just like straight horizontal savannas straight horizontal what's going on here this doesn't look very naturalistic at all um which is not uh, a great criticism of it <laughs> because um left to their own devices like if you had a world with like a uh, say a squ- big square landmass plonked straight in the middle of the equator extending up into the lower latitudes just square um homogeneous altitude like no altitudinal variations no mountains no nothing um you would get climate zones uh that are extremely linear because they mm-hmm. in part they vary by latitude so necessarily they're going to split uh linearly um and it's only when you have things like mountains and like depressions and like um proximity to the ocean where these zones get uh, messed up and they uh, get quote unquote like organic looking, and um, so on. Mm-hmm. My world, um, it's kind of my world is not very conducive to like again quote unquote organic looking climate zones because it's a big Pangaea continent. So there's like huge expanses of fairly homogeneous land. Um, there's hardly any mountain ranges, and the mountain ranges that are there don't tend to run north to south which is like optimal messing with your climate zone sort of things in terms of rain shadows and, and the like. Um, and so there's the way the world, the way I just set up the world uh, means that the climate zones come out looking fairly regular. Um, you could follow the exact same guidelines in the video that I lay out. And if your world had like multiple continents, loads of mountain ranges, um, different a different sort of like shape of the continents, you'll find that um, your world will not be linear. Um, So that's Mm -hmm. just the thing I thought I'd bring up. Um, Yeah, makes sense. You're using the, are these the the Copen climates? The Copen climate classification zones, yes. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at an Earth map of the Copen classifications, um, look at the Sahara, Mm -hmm. the bottom of the Sahara, there is a pretty straight line running west to east. That is where that climate biome ends yeah and uh, the, for, for those exact reasons there aren't any mountains to interfere with that and it is based on latitude exactly uh, and it's kind of it's really badass looking at on on satellites like you can see literally the color of the vegetation almost change in a like straight line which is just crazy looking um another example is the eastern um coast of north america like all the way from florida all the way up into canada you'll see a fairly linear breakdown of uh, climate zones there as well um, and again the places where the climate zones are not linear is like around the andes and the rockies mm. and the himalayas like even europe the uh, is a very kind of like orderly breakdown of climates because there's no apart from the alps there's no massive mountains going on there to screw things up um yeah so i i don't know it's just people saw the linearity and were like oh that must be wrong and it's like no, it can be like that. It's just that my world amplifies the linearity and your world may not necessarily do so. Um, so does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. 
Cool. All right. So unless you have something else to add, um, that's, that was a very short ma main topic. We should move into what would probably be an even shorter green room. I don't really have a whole lot to talk about in terms of like my life and stuff um, in the okay. green room. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but the one thing that I do want to uh, ask about is Bank of Artvexia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I feel really sad because I'm not getting uh, any Bank of Artifexia mail. Um, and I didn't realize how sad, not sad, but I didn't realize how kind of like, um, oh, I don't want to use a disappointed, that's not the correct word, but like um, how much I'd long for the mail. Because I really enjoyed reading it um, and it just nothing came in this month. And I was like, oh, no, I have no mail to read. Um, so I want to I want to put a call out to people Um Bank of Artifexia is still taking mon small monetary donations uh, with the aim of eventually my, my collection of uh, banknotes covering the entire planet insofar as possible. Uh, I would like to put a call out for three currencies in particular that I would love to receive from people. And if you have these currencies, please consider sending them in. Uh, links in the show notes to the address. Write a write a letter. Tell me about yourself. Ask some questions. Go nuts. We'll we'll read it out on air. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, within reason, obviously. Like if you write something horrific, I'm not reading it out on air. But within reason, we will definitely read it out on air. Um. So I would like. I would love to get my hands on the lowest denomination banknote from Canada. So Canadian dollars. The lowest denomination banknote from Mexico. So Mexican pesos. Uh, and or the lowest denomination uh, banknote from India, so Indian rupees. If I could get any of them, uh, that would be class. So if you have some, if you are in Canada, Mexico, or India, or you have some of this currency knocking around, please, 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 please consider uh, writing into the show. I I really miss Bank of Artifexia, um, and I'm just super stoked about expanding the collection. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's sounds good. Man, that's like literally all I have for Green Room. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been? Um, have you read, have you any news in your life? <laughs> have I any news in my life? Um I reorganized my sitting room. Oh, in my flat. oh boy, exciting times. <laughs> exciting times. So I have a desk now. This is the first podcast recorded at my new desk that I put together nine days ago. Ooh. Um, uh, did you have did you do you think that you podcasted better because of your desk? I think I shifted around less, so there should be a little bit less um, ambient noise from like moving around on the couch and fiddling with the table and stuff. Oh, because um, hmm. I was I was like hunching over to a, the coffee table before, whereas now I'm sitting in a slightly more ergonomic way. Oh, very um, good. Very good. Uh, I'm considering buying a projector. Oh, why? Yeah. Well, because you see, I don't, I don't have a TV, and I don't want to have a TV. Because if I have a TV, I'll sit down and waste time watching TV. And also, you'd have to pay like the, the bleeding TV license, and like that's just why. Precisely, precisely. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but if I get a projector, I can, you know, put like Netflix and stuff on on the projector and put it up on the wall, and that I will, mm. I will waste less time that way. Than if I were to have an actual TV that I could just like turn on and sit down. So that's been on my mind. Um, I might, I might get one of those. Um, what happens I, if you want to watch movies during the day? Well, I think a projector would still work. Would it? I suppose you I could just like so. lower the curtains. 
Uh, well, you see, I've got skylights in this room, so that oh. might, yeah. If, if 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 there is a problem, it's a more difficult a problem to solve than it than if I, if I had windows. Well, I um, mean, that might stop you from watching TV during the day. So, I mean, that, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, and also because I've I've really wanted to to get an Xbox this week, um, and I didn't because I don't have a TV. Um, but if I had a projector, I could cast it up on the wall and have it like really big which would be cool oh no hang on now pal would there be issues with like latency and lag running it through a projector I don't think so hmm I, I don't know. see why there would be because it's just a HDMI in yeah but like it has to I suppose well I don't know I suppose light does travel shocking fast but it has to beam it across the room and is there any sort of like no I mean like I mean, light travels more than like whatever. Like light travels at like the speed of sound, so that's pretty quick. <laughs> light travels at the speed of sound. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I don't know. It, it seems like there it'd be okay, but it just something about the setup makes me feel like it would be weird and laggy. I don't know. I don't see why it would be any more laggy than a TV. C- can you? C- could you buy instead of buying a TV? Could you buy a monitor? So, so you can't, so you can't just turn it on and watch telly, but like you can plug your Xbox into it. That might be. Like, I mean, you're definitely going to get better graphics in in a monitor than you would casting the thing onto a wall. Well, not if I get like a a proper screen on the wall. Like if I if I mount a proper screen. Bill, are you just building a home cinema? Um, <laughs> kind of looks like that, doesn't it? But then you see, then the issues will have to get um speakers as well. So it becomes mm. it becomes a lot more involved, which and I think is why people have TVs that take care of all of that. <laughs> that that's fair, um, but I mean, like, and then sure, you need to get like the lazy boy chair with the hole in it for the popcorn, you know. And then <laughs> I'm not the, doing that. You need to like get special soundproofing so you can enjoy your movie experience. Like, I I feel like you're going to travel down the rabbit hole here. Yeah, but I'd, I'd kind of like I don't know I'd like I'd like a little project for for the flat. Something like that. Speaking of projects, do you know my my so so um, uh, background info here? Current cat. I don't know if you know this, but current cat is dying. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. That no, that's okay. Sure. When you foster animals, you tend not to get very healthy animals. So that it's totally fine. Um, but but the I bring this up to say that it's it's a lot of work dealing with current cat because um she's not like in control of bodily functions and things like that, and it's just. It's proving an awful lot of work and kind of more work than I want to do. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking about maybe pulling from the fostering um, at some stage, which means I'm minus a project because the fostering was a project. And sort of compensate and bring back an extra project in life because I think it's super important to have non-work projects to keep like a good variety in life and like a good like mental health balance. You're, you always have something different to think about if one thing goes wrong or makes you sad etc um i was thinking about uh, getting an electric drum kit and learning how to drum that'd be class yeah and it just it's come completely out of left the field i was just sitting there one day going what will i do if i don't have cats and i was like i'm gonna go to learn how to drum <laughs> we could start a band we can start a band we can we can start a band and we should all not play the instruments we were actually trained on Oh, that means I can play bass. I can play bass. That's fine. Because no never, I never got a bass lesson. Yeah, so. you play bass. I play guitar, and then we'll just we'll find someone else who's a the saxophone. No, you were, Edgar. You were trained on guitar. Sorry, Hold on, stop sorry, changing the rules. Not guitar, <laughs> sorry, drums, drums. I'm sorry. Um, 
But yeah, so I'm half thinking about doing that. My only issue is that maybe it's the drum kit uh, is going to be too big for the flat because we live in a tiny, tiny, tiny flat. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that 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 might be a little project. The other one was to try and brew beer, um, but I don't really drink, so that's like a, a bit of a non-starter. And then I thought about uh, trying to get bees because there's a urban bee project running here. And I was like, that might be an idea. But then I thought, again, we have very, very little space outside. So those bees are not going to live outside. They're going to live inside, which is something I can't tolerate. That sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, beekeeping can be quite cool. Um, yeah, but not indoors. No, no, it's no. they're not going to be literally indoors, man. But like, given the proximity to like windows and doors, I'd imagine some bees would get in. Uh, do you know who's oh, mad? Gotcha. Do you know who's mad into bees? Um, beekeepers. Yes, correct. Ten points for Bill. Uh, James <laughs> James Hetfield of Metallica. Really, he adores his he adores his bees. He was on Joe Rogan. I don't know, maybe a year ago, something like that. Probably longer. I don't huh. think. Um, and they spent an inordinate amount of time talking about Hetfield's love of bees. It was great crack. I mean. It's it is weird, but it makes sense because he's into he's into hunting and stuff. So it it seems a fairly logical extension of you know having a an outdoorsy you know sufficiency kind of hobby. Yeah, no, for sure, it's definitely an extension of that. And also, uh, apparently, he so he grew up in California, I think, and uh, apparently now he lives in some small ass town in uh, Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. which is just rural and he's all like I'm a rural man now and he's like farming and being all self-sufficient which it's just like it's it totally isn't fitting with his character um like I said given the hunting but it's just mad to think like you know one of the kind of pioneers of heavy metal is there tending to his crops I think that's hilarious yeah I think it's awesome <laughs> I know I think it's great I think it's really cool um but yeah anything else going on in your life um, we have seven minutes of airtime to fill here, Bill. <laughs> I, I took a Pokemon Go the other day. No, you're so late to the party. <laughs> yeah. How, what do you think of Pokemon Go? Um, it's very well structured to keep you playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you still play? No, because what happened was, at the minute, uh, so my completionist thing, you know, I'm a completionist, yeah? Yeah. If I know... That I cannot, uh, with any degree of like uh, high probability, complete a thing. I'll just stop. Um, mm-hmm. So when Pokemon Go was uh, doing its first round of legendary um, raids, I remember mi- I missed. Who did I miss? I missed one of the birds, as far as I remember. And then. There was no roadmap from Niantic to say that these birds were coming back. There was rumor and speculation, but it was nothing concrete. So I was like, I mm-hmm. missed this bird. It cannot be found again. I cannot complete this game. Ergo, this game is now broken for me. And I just stopped playing. That makes sense. Yeah. So, but when you say that it's designed to keep you playing, is that a good or a bad thing? Um, Currently, it's a neutral thing. I mean, it's the thing I'm, I'm inclined to a bit of suspicion mm. about. Um, mm. It's a little suspicious. Um, and I mean, I've, I've played it pretty hard over the last couple of days. Um, but it's good to, you know, get me going, actually walking in around places and yeah. 
discovering new things. Um, independent of, the, of of playing that, I don't know if I said the last day, um, I discovered a cool graveyard in my town, which I never knew was there. Um, but your town and abandoned. is... Abandoned... Like, oh, no, no, sorry. Your town is... I was about to say your town is very, very small, but your town... Town you live in is not very very small. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like Carlo, not my not my home village. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so you've just been finding graveyards randomly, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I went for a walk up the river on, um, like away from from town, do rather than just, kind of. The, do you just go for walks, Bill? Uh, no, I hate going for walks, but right. I because the, the, I don't like going for walks because. Um, very often, you just have to go somewhere and then turn around and come back. I'm sure, I think I've spoken about this before, and it just really annoys me. And um, if you can get a circuit going, and um, that's a little bit less annoying. But also, I don't get anything out of it. I, I, I hmm. don't. But if I find something new, that is something that I've gotten out of it. So I enjoyed this walk because I went up the river because I hadn't been up that direction on the river, and I discovered some cool things like this cool old graveyard. Uh, but yeah, now that I have Pokemon Go and it, like the Pokestops that tells you of like plaques and things that you might not have noticed, so that's kind of fun. But hang on, so if, in discovering this graveyard, that implies that you you went on a walk, which means that even though you don't like going on walks, you still go on walks, and only some of them are successful. I very very seldom do. If, okay, okay. I find- I mean I walk everywhere anyway. Like I walk yeah. to work every day. I go to work, so I don't get anything out of going for a walk. It's not novel to me, and like I already know what the, where places are for the most part. It just I realized I actually haven't gone up this way before, so I'll go up there and see what that is. Okay, um, I, I'm kind of with you. I find like I, I like the more I get into running, the more like of an outdoorsy, fitnessy person I'm becoming. Um. The more I become that person, the more I just like I hate, I hate walking, uh, and I hate when people are like, "Do you want to go for a walk in the park?" And I'm like, "No, like, why would you go for a walk in the park? Like, we're not we're not like building muscle by going for a walk in the park. We are exercising." Yes, I will go to the park. I will happily go to the park to be in the park, but going to the park for the sake of a walk is just kind of weird. Yeah, and you like you don't really get anything, and I don't get anything. I was just like the kind of aimlessly wandering and absorbing scenery. Like I'd much rather run through the thing. And then at least I know I'm like, oh, my purpose here is to exercise and I'm in nice surroundings. Great. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. But when people are just like, let's walk in the nice thing for an unspecified amount of time, I'm like, no, I'll just play computer games. Like, it's so much better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can kind of get behind the idea of the the kind of wandering through a city to like find a new neighborhood or just kind of get the feel of a city. Um, I think it was the situationists used to be into that. I think that makes, that makes a bit more sense to me because there's kind of a, like a, I don't know, going, it's an experience to go through the different places, the different neighborhoods and stuff. Um, and like wander around and let your mind absorb that. But just like, I'm going to, plan this route and walk there and no it just doesn't do it for me yeah same same i'm with you on that oh uh, one last thing on on like uh fitness and um walking and exercise and things like that um today is wednesday which means that i had swimming this morning oh how's it going uh i can swim like a slightly inept fish (laughs) Good. So like, no, it's good. It's it's going really cool. Apparently, next week I'm getting bumped up to intermediates. Um, nice. Yeah. So I'm making progress, uh, which is kind of cool. I still find it unfathomable uh, the notion that a person 
can swim many miles like that. Mm. Like I, I can do like with breaks, I can do a couple of lengths of the pool. Uh, the notion that like in an Ironman or a triathlon or whatever, you have to go for miles and miles. I'm just like, I don't, I just, I cannot grasp how the human body can do this. So I have a, an obscenely long way to go, uh, but I'm not sucking like a hundred percent at it, which is unexpected. Nice one, dude. Yeah, it's good. Can you swim um, underwater? Oh, Bill, oh, you asked this at the wrong week. So I, so I've got the front crawl down, right? Can kind oh, of okay. Front like the normal like freestyly swimming thing. I can do yeah. ba- uh, breast, uh, not breaststroke, backstroke. Like there's no tomorrow. Um, breaststroke is not great, uh, but it's yeah, that's o- a tough one. It's yeah, but it's okay. So I was t- so today I was like to the trader, I was like, look, I-, I got all these things down. Is there any chance we could focus on the things I'm really shy at, which is treading water and swimming underwater? And she was like, yeah, sure. And I I spent forty five minutes just completely failing to swim water water and like there was to the point where she even uh, the instructor brought in other instructors to like analyze my form and there's like three or four people standing over me being like he's just his legs are not they're not good now and i'm like what do i do and they're like you need to do more of x i'm like okay give it a shot again they're like no that wasn't it do you want to try that again do it again they're like no, that still wasn't it. And like we tried a hundred different variations to try and get me to get under the water. And it just it just <laughs> wasn't working. And to, to the point where I actually got a really nice compliment from one of the guys. He was like, you're very floaty, which is really bad for like uh, swimming underwater. But it's really good if you want to do distance swimming. And I was like, I want to do an Ironman. I want to be a distance swimmer. And he was like, you're going to be fine then. Just you know, temper your dreams of swimming underwater. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And like, you know, if someone pushes me underwater and I'm already under the water and then they're like, go swim, that's okay. That's not too bad. But it's getting underwater mm. and f- staying there. It's it's just, it's horrific. Like, um, but like, as with Very everything, hard. with enough practice, it will come. And as long as you keep mm-hmm. a positive mental attitude and just keep being all like, I can do it, I will do it, it'll it'll work eventually. Um, and I'll swim like a somewhat competent fish underwater. Because <laughs> for like all of my swimming that I did in South America, um, no, it wasn't like a huge amount, but we, you know, we did a boat trip and went to the beach loads. Um, I spent a couple of seconds underwater swimming. Maybe like 30 seconds at most, but it was like, it's very, very hard to get there, to get yeah. underwater. I don't know how people do it. Yeah, nor do and I. also, I like- for me to do it, I had to breathe out and like expel all of the air in my body. So that's probably not very safe either. <laughs> wait, you have to, wait, but that's what I'm doing. Is, is okay. That, is, that, I mean, not, is that not what, what you're meant to do? May, maybe it is what you're meant to do, but I mean, that seems ridiculous and unsafe. So as you're... To not have any air. Wait, but as you're going... If you're in the water at all, though, no matter what you're doing, you're, you're breathing out always, yeah? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I, okay, again, uh, listeners, I'm not a swimmer. Both of us are great swimmers here, obviously. But like, as far as... So I'm no expert, so don't take my word for this. But as far as I'm aware, that like, if you're holding your breath in any way at all, unless you're doing some sort of like deep dive or whatever... Um, you're just going to exhaust yourself. So when they're getting me to do the swimming underwater, they were like, 
you get underwater and you continuously breed out as you swim across the length of this pool. And then you surface to breed. Okay, but you can see the difference between having no air in your lungs when you're at the surface and having no air in your lungs when you're under three feet of water. Oh, yeah, like, you got to come up, like, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Bill's just like, why isn't this working? I cannot breathe. Like, well, just rise up, Bill. <laughs> the getting back up, Bill, is But the yeah, I mean, that's, that's the point I'm making. That's the um, point I'm making. Yeah, I, I'm, look, I'm totally with you, man. Swimming underwater is a nightmare. It's awful. Um, oh, another thing that's a nightmare, and I promise I'll stop after this because it's been this dream's actually turned into a way too long of, a, of an affair. Um, but uh, another thing that's really hard is the dolphin kick. That's very hard, um, and like to the point, just like with swimming underwater, I'm like I cannot make my body get into the shape and do like the worm enough to make it happen. Um, and that's oh, a thing that you like need that. for like you know, swimming in pools and things like that. So that's that's a worry that I can't get Yeah. Um, do you remember the TV show Seagirl? Seagirl? I do not. Let me Google. It was an Australian TV show from the from the 90s. Um, Ocean, sorry, Ocean Girl. I was about to say Seagirl. Ocean Girl. Seagirl is an indie rock band. Uh, Ocean Girl. Ocean Girl, yeah. Ocean there was girl. there was a couple of Australian kids like TV shows, a lot of them science fiction that were made in the mid nineties, and they all had the same actors in them, and that was one of them. And it was on the TV the whole time when I was a kid. Um, and just when you said dolphin kick, that was how the the ocean girl used to mostly swim. She was a girl that lived underwater, and her friends lived on like a research base on the bottom of the sea. And there was a like there was a conspiracy and stuff. It was pretty dope. Hold on, give me a second here. Just let me have a look at who... Do you know who made this? Australia. Aust- Australia. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, give me just one second now. Okay, no. All right, um, on Wikipedia, if it's the right thing, the critical reception bit is, uh, says that the plot is almost as complex and twisty as Lost. The action is crackling nonstop, the mysteries are many, and the lead character, Neri, is enchanting. Um, any scenes where she appears are pretty much guaranteed to be cool. It seems like it's actually a really good show. Huh. Maybe I'll have to rewatch it. Eight out, eight, 8.2 out of 10. Wow. Huh. There you go. Um, which is not a thing that we said for a lot of TV shows, uh, when we grew up. Anywho, anywho, anywho. Um, so all of that was non-world related. I'm really sorry, listeners. If we stuck true to this, oh, my, oh, my only question is why? Why are you still here? Listen to us talk about swimming. Because we're charming and interesting to listen to. We're being personable, Bill. That's what's happening. That's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, anywho, uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I, I'm assuming we're wrapping this up, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. Cool. All right. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, episode, listeners. Go check out the new merch. Uh, let me know what you think. If you don't buy it, let me know what you think. Always good to get feedback and improve things. Um, yeah. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I will see you. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. I on Patreon. Love it. You you help us keep doing what we're doing. Uh, we will see you all next week in thirty days. Mm-hmm. Until next time. Edgar Edgar out. out. (laughs) Angry Bill.